Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Tom Jensen. Tom has been on our program a number of times, and he heads up public policy polling. And uh, we ask him, of course, to be on this issue, on this edition, primarily because we wanted to get his input on how uh, the final outcomes might uh, turn out on uh, Tuesday night when all the votes are cast and counted. And and uh, we've already taken a look at uh, that, not only uh, in the, the House, but also the United States Senate. And uh, Tom has uh, sort of forecasted that uh, he believes that the uh, Republicans will have control of both the House and the Senate. Tom, we uh, mentioned early in the program, you said that uh, uh, inflation seems to be the number one thing that's on people's minds these days. Uh, I think you said 50% of those that you talked about said that that was their number one issue. Uh, you also said that uh, the R word, recession, is not one of those. Uh, but uh, uh, as we enter the uh, next uh, two years and we begin to look at who is going to lead the country, because we will have a presidential election in two years. What uh, what do you think will determine who will be the nominees for the two parties? Obviously, as people look at Joe Biden, they look at his age. And also, of course, uh, as you've said, his performance has not uh, met with great approval of the general public right now. So do you think he will be a candidate? And if so, what will have to happen in order for him to be a candidate? Well, I think what's true for both Joe Biden and Donald Trump at this point is if they want to be their party's nominee in 2024, they will be. Uh, Joe Biden's overall approval ratings may not be that good, but he's still pretty overwhelmingly popular with Democrats. I think if he wants another term, I doubt anybody serious would even run against him. Uh, So I I think basically what he needs to do to get nominated again anyway is is just say that he wants to be. And I think that'll probably uh, become a a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I will say he's done a little bit here over the last few months to sort of get himself back in better standing with the Democratic Party base. If there was anything that was sort of giving him trouble with Democrats uh, over the last few years, it was that there was really no enthusiasm for him from young people who tend to be an important part of the Democratic base. Uh, But over the last few months, he finally did student loan forgiveness. Uh, He did some stuff making marijuana laws more lenient. Uh, And we've seen that even though his overall approval numbers are still poor, his numbers with the party base have definitely uh, improved. We were uh, sometimes over the summer finding that even among people who voted for Biden in 2020, his approval rating was only in the 60s. And we're now consistently finding that back up in the 80s. So there's definitely not much uh, appetite within the Democratic Party uh, to go in a different direction at this point if Biden would like to be the candidate again. Let's uh, suppose that he elects not to because there are some concerns about his health and, of course, his age. uh, uh, Because I'm in that age group, I know health can change in a hurry. So let's assume for a moment that he might that uh, one of those factors may come into play or that he just decides I've had enough. Who are the possibilities um, that uh, are out there for the Democrats to turn to if Biden elects not to run? I think that probably the two biggest possibilities that uh, jump off the top of my head are both people who 
were part of the extensive Democratic presidential field in 2020. Uh, I certainly think the immediate front runner to to be the nominee, uh, nominee assuming she wants it, would be uh, Vice President Harris. Uh, I think another big contender would be uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who certainly uh, made a very strong uh, impression during his first uh, campaign for president. If you're thinking in terms of somebody who wasn't a presidential candidate in 2020, who perhaps could be a big player this time around if there ends up being uh, an open fight for the nomination. It would be Gavin Newsom, uh, the governor of California, I think definitely has presidential ambitions and obviously being the governor of California has a huge uh, fundraising base and has a good story to tell about the progressive things he's done during the course of his time as governor of California and before that as mayor of San Francisco. So uh, those are three names that I would sort of think of as being kind of at the top of the list if uh, if Biden does step aside. Now, President Trump, of course, is uh, everyone knows that he would like to be president again. I think that's for sure. But he's also a realist. And uh, if he thinks he's not going to win, I, my, my guess is that he would, uh, rather than ever admit that, he'd just, decide, he'd just say, I'm not going to run. That, that's my personal opinion. But having said that, um, in your polling, it doesn't seem like that many people who are in the Trump camp are very concerned about the uh, all the legal concerns or problems that his company seems to be facing right now. Uh, and also, uh, the Republican Party seems to be very concerned about some of the candidates he's backing, but uh, no one seems to want to move out and challenge that. So where is the Republican Party going to go? Uh, will they uh, stick with Trump right down to the final, or will they look somewhere else? Uh, I, I definitely think it's right there for the taking for Trump. It's definitely still his party and his record this year in endorsing candidates and primaries across the country has been pretty impeccable. Uh, there have been a few exceptions, but uh, overwhelmingly, if Trump says he wants someone to be a nominee for something, he's been getting his way about that. And I think certainly that would extend to Trump being the nominee for something if he wanted to be. Um, so he does have sort of a, a lock hold over the party still. If he does end up deciding he doesn't want to run, uh, I think it's unusually clear who the Republican nominee would be at this point uh, is Ron DeSantis. Uh, the two of them really are taking up by far and away the most oxygen within the party. And of course, it's 2022 and a lot could change between now and the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary 15 months from now. Uh, but at this point, uh, if Trump decided not to run, DeSantis is just uh, heads and shoulders above the field uh, in, in terms of his amount of uh, sort of popularity, which it's unusual to have somebody in, a, in what would be sort of an open seat situation like that. It would be unusual to have somebody be such a clear front runner. Uh, but DeSantis, with the way he's sort of uh, carried on during his first term as governor of Florida has has really positioned himself pretty well to be the primary Trump alternative. But I don't think he would run against Trump. I think that's just if Trump doesn't run, he's going to be at the head of the line. Interesting. So uh, let's assume for a moment that neither Trump or Biden run and the scientist runs. Will he carry all the support and all the uh, Trump supporters uh, that are so uh, so strong for Trump, will that be 
his base and will that be enough to elect him as president or will the Democrats have a good chance? Well, I think the Democrats will have a good chance. Uh, you know, one thing that's important to keep in mind with the fact that it is likely that uh, Republicans will do so well in the election this week uh, is that doesn't necessarily mean that just because Republicans do really well in the election this week that Biden is doomed for re-election. Uh, in 2010, Republicans had a far bigger year than they're likely to have this year. And there was all this commentary and the wake of it that Obama was done and there was no way Obama would get a second term. And then two years later, Obama pretty dominantly got reelected. So uh, just having a really bad midterm doesn't necessarily mean that the, the president's doomed. Uh, but I think it's a fascinating question with DeSantis, uh, whether he could get out all the same people uh, that Trump did, because a big part of why Trump did as well as he did in the elections he ran in is he got a lot of people to vote who had never bothered to vote before. They had never had a candidate who who really appealed to them in the way that Trump did. So Trump really personally changed the electorate by bringing out all these people who were not accustomed to being engaged in the process. And it is going to be fascinating to see uh, if, if somebody else, DeSantis or anybody, can get those people activated to the same extent as Trump. And sort of shifting the attention back to this Tuesday uh, it's always possible that Democrats could have a, a, a better election this year than expected. I'm not expecting that, which I guess is the essence of not expecting it. Uh, but if Democrats do have a better election than expected on Tuesday, it's going to be because those Trump voters didn't come back out for the midterm. They did not come back out if Trump wasn't on the ballot. Uh, that is how Democrats would outperform. So this week is actually going to be, I think, an interesting test of the extent to which the Trump base turns out when Trump's not on the ballot, uh, because if it doesn't, that would definitely mitigate Democrats' losses. The Ukraine situation is interesting in the sense that it is, uh, we're putting an awful lot of money in it, and the public doesn't seem to be very concerned one way or the other. Uh, I guess if there were a referendum, most people would say that we need to support them. I'm just guessing. What would be your guess if that were a referendum? I think it would definitely, this, this is what I think would happen. I think it would definitely start out polling well ahead, and then we would have to see how well-funded the opposition was. And if the opposition was very well-funded and, you know, ran a really demagogic campaign against it, I think it might end up failing in the end. It's, it's, it's the kind of thing to me where, uh, you know, people on the surface would say that they supported it, but if they really got pumped full of sort of, uh, right-wing uh, messaging against it, I could definitely see them ending up in a very different place uh, by the end. And I'll, I'll tell you specifically what I'm thinking of when I talk about that. Uh, something we've seen in gun polling over the years is that when you ask people just generically, do you support or oppose background checks for all gun sales? That's usually an 80% yes uh, kind of proposition. But what we found anytime that these actually end up on the ballot in a particular state, is that they end up only passing like 51 to 49 or something like that, even though they started out polling at 80, because even though people think that the idea is really good on the surface, it's not something that they have such a strongly held feeling about uh, that they can't be persuaded to change their minds with a bunch of advertising and that sort of thing. So that is how I think a, a Ukraine vote would play out. We, we would get more and more selfish as it went along.
You mentioned gun control. I'm a little surprised in that uh, uh, tally that you gave us earlier about 50% of the public saying inflation is their number one topic. I would have thought public safety would have been very high on people's minds with all the uh, uh, shootings and uh, disasters of those kinds that we've had recently. I would have thought that would have been a little bit more on people's minds. Well, it definitely is one of the biggest issues crime is, and it's something that's worked uh, significantly to Republicans' benefit, uh, particularly in a lot of suburban areas across the country. Um, Even though the Democratic Party in general in 2020 never did anything like adopting defund the police as the party's position or anything like that, that phrase, defund the police, has done Democrats so much damage uh, over the last few years because uh, whether that's actually the Democratic Party's position or not, which it's not, uh, enough people have said that, that Republicans have been able to very effectively sort of hang that around the Democrats' necks uh, in a way that uh, I think ended up significantly limiting how well Democrats did in 2020 uh, I think if not for being perceived as weak on crime, Democrats uh, would have won many more congressional and legislative seats across the country in 2020. Uh, and that's continued to be sort of the biggest Republican talking point this year alongside inflation. Uh, so I, I definitely, even though inflation has been the biggest thing, crime's been right up there. Oh, OK. Well, that that answers that, because as I said, I would have I would have thought that would have been on people's minds to a large degree because of the incidents that we've had that have been so disturbing. Our guest is Tom Jensen. He's the Director of Public Policy Polling. We've talked about all sorts of things, but in the next segment, I want to talk about negative ads, the effect of negative ads, and uh, how people get their information that leads them to make a decision on who they're going to vote for. And we'll do that when we return with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school and I didn't do it. 10 years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo. GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time, as in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Tom Jensen. And as we've said in introducing Tom, we thought it was very appropriate for him to be with us because of his uh, 
uh, the particular field that he's in. Uh, he's doing an awful lot of research on how people are going to vote, and he's already given us his thoughts on how the election is going to turn out. And we'll sort of review those very briefly at the end. But in this final segment, I wanted to talk a little bit about negative ads because that is about all we see on television, all we hear on radio. Uh, even the social media ads are basically negative. Um, negative ads seem to work and positive ads don't seem to work. Why is that? I think it's just a reflection that the biggest thing that motivates people now to, to go vote is sort of hatred of the other side. Uh, so there's very little, oh, I'm so excited about candidate X. I can't wait to go vote for them. And people are just considerably more motivated by, oh, I hate so-and-so on the other side, so I can't wait to go vote against them. Uh, and so I think that uh, it's hard to say where the uh, the the chicken and the egg is on that sort of uh, front, whether the negative ads make people excited to go vote against people or if people are just already sort of in that mindset about being excited to go vote against people and the negative ads reinforce that. But uh, I think it's basically just a measure of the toxicity in our political environment where everybody hates each other so much uh, that sort of hating one of the candidates is the best way to to get people to go uh, motivated to go vote for who you want them to. Interesting. Now, we've also seen in the last, uh, well, I guess uh, the trend started maybe as much as 25 years ago, but the number of people who register now is unaffiliated, not only here in North Carolina, but across the country, seems to get bigger each year. And in North Carolina, it's getting very close, if not already, a plurality. Of course, all of those voters have a leaning one way or the other. Uh, they're not truly independent. Uh, they lean one way or the other. In North Carolina, um, we have uh, uh, a very large contingency of unaffiliated voters. One of the things that sort of bothers me about that is if you're an unaffiliated voter, you have sort of taken yourself out of the opportunity to run for, for office. Does that bother you, Tom, that uh, we've got roughly, what, 35, 40% of people who are leaning toward or are already registered as unaffiliated, that means they're sort of out of the uh, the pool for uh, serving in public office. Yeah, I mean, the, the problem with unaffiliated as candidates for office is just that there's no sort of unifying thread that, uh, that binds together all those unaffiliated voters. So even though two people might both be registered unaffiliated. One of them might be unaffiliated because he's super, super liberal and thinks that the Democratic Party is way too moderate. And then another one of them might be registered unaffiliated because they're super, super conservative and think that the Republican Party is too moderate. So those two people, even though they're both unaffiliated, are never going to agree on anything. Uh, and that's why it makes it hard so that even though unaffiliateds are the largest group of voters, uh, you're, you're not going to see very many elected to office because there just isn't any sort of unifying theme among the unaffiliated, except that you dislike both of the major political parties. But your reasons for disliking both of the major political parties just could be all over the place rather than uh, sharing any sort of common thread. Debates. Uh, at one time, people were very interested in debates. Now it seems that the incumbent shies away from debates because they feel like they have nothing to gain and everything to lose. Uh, but even when they have a debate, 
are enough people watching the debates uh, that they are a factor in the end? How many people in your polling will say, I changed my mind because of the debate or a debate? Out of every single Senate and governor's race in the country this year, only one debate has really generated a whole lot of buzz at all, which was the Pennsylvania Senate debate last week. And that was just buzzy because John Fetterman was participating in it less than five months after having a stroke. And people were just sort of curious about how he was going to perform in the debate based on that. Uh, Other than that, there's really been no interest or significance of any of the debates that have happened anywhere in the country this cycle. Uh, Obviously, we had just one debate for our Senate race, and it was on a Friday night on uh, cable. uh, And I adore the person who hosted it, Tim Boyum. Uh, but I think the reality is most North Carolinians have something better to do on Friday night than watch a U.S. Senate debate on TV. So that certainly did not uh, have much of an impact on the state of the race. Uh, and another thing that was sort of interesting about sort of the North Carolina Senate debate picture uh, is Ted Budd refused to have any more than the one debate. And that just didn't turn into a liability for him at all. Uh, it used to be this uh, you know, uh, a situation where it was really going to cause you some problems if you were perceived as trying to dodge debate and that sort of thing. Uh, and as sort of norms uh, in our politics have declined and declined, uh, you're not going to get in any trouble now because you refuse to do a debate. I mean, nobody cares about that. So I definitely think to your point that that's just sort of dying out as something that's particularly relevant in political races. Is it fair to say we have more apathy now than we did 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Well, it's complicated. Uh, I actually think we're going to see just about record levels of uh, participation uh, in the midterm election. And we had extremely high levels of participation in the last few presidential races. Uh, So I, I think in a sense, there's a high level of engagement but what, what I would say is it's not a deep level of engagement. Like you have lots of people, uh, you know, motivated to, to go vote because either they're a Democrat and they hate Trump or they're a Republican and they hate Biden and Pelosi. So they're motivated to go vote because of that sort of thing. Uh, but I think you could you could make an argument that there's high voter turnout and that there's also apathy because I think people are making much more emotional decisions about everything related to politics and not giving the sort of deeper thought to it that they might have done uh, in past election cycles. I think in the past, you had a lot more people reading the newspaper and uh, taking in more substantive information on the radio and on television and that sort of thing, and really making an effort to, to get to be familiar with the candidates and that sort of thing. And of course, we had such a long tradition here in North Carolina where people would really vote very differently for state races than they would for national races uh, because candidates could sort of get their own brand that was separate from the national party. And everything's just gotten more and more nationalized. uh, And I think because of that, uh, people aren't as informed and they're just more tribal. uh, And we've sort of seen the, the, the outcomes that's led to in terms of how much nastier and unproductive everything has gotten in both Washington, D.C. and Raleigh. So if you were advising a candidate who is thinking about running for office, how would you establish your position right now to allow yourself to get on the ballot, uh, win a primary, and then position yourself to win a race in North Carolina? What, 
what uh, means would you use? Would you use social media? Would you, uh, the newspapers, just not a factor, it's nearly, well, I guess it's still somewhat of a factor, but not anywhere close to where it used to be as far as a source of information. So how does information get out? How do people decide uh, what they feel or how they uh, uh, come about uh, deciding that a candidate is uh, one that they they will choose to vote for? More and more of that kind of stuff is just coming from social media uh, and also partisan media, uh, you know, where people more and more just want to listen to news with a conservative slant if they're a Republican or they just want to listen to news with a liberal slant if they're a Democrat and that sort of thing. Um, I think if I was advising a candidate, I'd tell them to spend a higher and higher percentage of their budget for advertising on digital ads as opposed to running ads on the five o'clock news on WRL or something like that, just because you can target people uh, in such a more effective manner. Uh, it always it always sort of blows my mind when I'm uh, home in Chapel Hill watching a football game and I'll see ads on my TV for legislative candidates from Rocky Mount. Well, you're paying a lot of money uh, to, 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 to run ads on, on linear TV that Maybe only 5% of the people who are watching actually have the ability to vote for you. Uh, so I'd be spending more and more on methods of communicating with voters that are really directly targeted at individual voters where you know something about who they are uh, and, and, and can try to tailor a message effectively to them rather than just hitting everybody across the board with the same thing. Are the parties ultimately dead? Is it just that we haven't buried them yet? I think they're definitely becoming less and less relevant as uh, political forces. And to your point earlier about our you know, huge proliferation of unaffiliated voters, uh, that's very much a reflection of the fact that most people registering to vote now don't want to be either Democrats or Republicans. They don't think that either party uh, particularly well serves their needs. Uh, something I heard recently that was kind of fascinating is among people in the last couple of years who have registered to vote in dorms at UNC Chapel Hill, 75% uh, are unaffiliated, 23% are Democrats, and 2% are Republicans. So even among a, a, a block of people who you would expect to be very strongly Democratic, uh, like students at UNC Chapel Hill, 75% of them are choosing to register unaffiliated because they don't actually like the Democratic Party. They might vote for Democratic candidates, but they still don't like the Democratic Party. Interesting. Well, that's, uh, you know, when I say are the parties dead, uh, as they are constituted now, I'm wondering if they might not have to do some revamping of their positioning to remain relevant. I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, uh, of course, everyone that listens to this program knows that I'm one of those who has chosen to vote uh, and uh, be become uh, unaffiliated as far as my registration. And also, uh, when they see the, the way I mark up my ballot, my uh, pinball machine, it would say tilt because <laughs> I, I skip back and forth. So I'm not one that uh, is a very good uh, example of, of uh, someone who's loyal to a political party. Uh, I'm you're, you're, part, you're, you're part of the 1% of voters who really do go back and forth between the two parties. I, I really do. And uh, I've enjoyed doing that. Well, Tom, <laughs> uh, very quickly, again, uh, uh, early in the program, you, you uh, suggested that the United States House and Senate are likely to be 
uh, in the hands of Republicans after the election on Tuesday night, and that you also forecasted that uh, North Carolina's congressional makeup uh, for our 14 congressmen will be eight Democrats, I mean, eight Republicans and six uh, Democrats. And uh, But you did not uh, make a prediction on the United States Senate race. So very quickly, how do you think that was going to come out here in North Carolina? I think Ted Budd will probably win by three or four points in the end. Okay, that sort of wraps up the program and gives me just enough time to say if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast. Or if you're listening to one of the stations that only carries the half-hour version, the two segments that you missed are also available. We'll be back again next week with another guest, and we'll look forward to seeing you at that time. Till next week, same time. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.